I'm going to start a podcast that has no focus, and it'll take up an inordinate amount of time. Welcome to the Get to Know World of Warships podcast. Here's your host, Sinpax. Welcome to episode 92, where we talk to the global winners of the last season of Clan Battles, Penta, about the strategies that allow them to rack up a near 90% win rate. Then Derp tells us how to plummet like a pilgrim. In what is considered the worst tier 10 steel ship, he racked up a staggering 76% solo win rate and he'll tell you how you can too. Then we chat with Stewie about the Team League Tournament series. But first, we kick off this epi with JD and Hold My Beer to learn about their crazy Clash of the Classes tournament. Stay tuned to the finest podcast this side of the Mississippi, Get to Know World of Worship. to talk about a brand new tournament in its very first iteration it is called clash of classes and i'm here with the two individuals who have set it up have come up with the crazy idea and are going to be running this tournament i'm here with jd red five known to us now as jd and hold my beer whom we will continue to refer to only by his surname beer mr beer <laughs> and jd how are you doing guys welcome to the podcast I'm doing good. Thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. So let's see. This tournament, uh, let's get sort of the fundamentals out. If uh, When is it taking place and what are the deadlines and that kind of thing for people who would, would choose to participate? Yeah, so we, sure. uh, we are running uh, February 4th to February 12th, 2022. So we are starting in just under two weeks. And uh, the deadline to sign up, uh, I believe we finished uh, setting it up for the night before. I want to say we get a 24-hour deadline. Uh, the uh, 2nd of February. The 2nd of February, so it's a 48-hour deadline. Yep. Okay, so uh, tell me a little bit about how this tournament will operate. Sure. Um, the tournament will be a 4 versus 4 tournament. 
Um, it'll primarily operate during the 8 o'clock to about 10 o'clock Eastern time um, during the regular season. Um, it'll be battleship only. Um, and for the tiers that will be involved, we're going to give teams um, the opportunity to, to mix and match and bring whatever tiers they want to bring. Um, there's uh, we, We've uh, split up the different tiers to have different point values, and we've given teams a set amount of points that they can decide what they want to bring. So, for instance, a team could bring like a tier 10, a tier 9, a tier 6, and a tier 5, I think. Or they could bring tier 9, two tier 8s, and a tier 7, something like that. So that's just a couple examples of and all are, that. are they required to bring four ships? Yes. Yes. It's not. You're not allowed to bring only three ships and uh, cheat on the point system. I, I'm sure some teams would do it if they could. Oh, I mean, just it, it. You know, the whole concept I think is pretty novel, and it's not. It's clash of classes, but it's not a clash between classes. It's a clash within clashes. So, I presume future iterations of this might be cruisers only or destroyers only. Yeah. yeah. So, go ahead. To, well, uh, actually, to correct your uh, previous statement, this is actually our third season. Um, we we've been in hibernation for a little while. Uh, we've Eight, it was eight months ago when we played our uh, season two, and in season two we did have cruisers and destroyers as part of the format. But something that's in our uh, uh, statement of purpose is we want to try to change things every season. And basically, based on player feedback, everybody really loves the battleship format, so we decided let's let's try all battleships and uh give them what they want so we hope that'll be really fun for people i understand and i don't really do any homework for this podcast i pretty much just show up and just start (laughs) asking stupid questions um i'm actually really looking forward to the cv versus cv season oh yeah we we wish unfortunately the training we've had people suggesting it so i mean yeah so this is uh north america only correct Okay. Um, uh, what? So, did I read it right? Is that there is a hundred thousand dollar cash prize for the winning team? Is that because that's the press release that I got handed? Well, I mean, uh, we did read. I, I, I at least, I think JD also. We listened to your last podcast, and we know that you're looking for sensationalism. Uh, so, we would love to say that that's the prize. It's that isn't the prize, though. However, we can offer teams. Um, It'll be the best tournament experience you've ever had or your money back. You know, that sounded, kind of sounds to me like there are no prizes. No, there, there are prizes. Um, we actually, uh, for the first time in this season, uh, we are supported by Wargaming. Uh, thanks to the, the Bogsy has been working with us and helped hook us up with that. So we're really grateful for that. Um, we've got some tier eight ships for the uh first place team uh they uh tier eight premium ships um tier sevens for the second and third place um sixes for the fifth and sorry i'm, I'm getting this messed up basically there's uh so you're giving away free uh, ships basically to yeah, people who free do well ships. and uh there also is a lot of doubloon lump sum prizes that are available to teams even if they don't place on the podium um a lot of our focus is to try to accommodate people who for some reason have never been able to participate in cots 
or some other tournament that's more organized or more official or more competitive. And we're we're very casual focused. So even if people aren't the most competitive team out there, they hopefully they'll be able to join, participate, um, and still they will have a chance to walk away with some prizes, uh, some pretty nice prizes. Yeah, is, was this featured on the World of Warships website? It was not. Okay. Uh, Bogsy gave us a shout out on the forums, and we have been pinned to the top of the World of Warships Reddit for quite a few weeks now. Okay, cool. uh, for registration and whatnot. But uh, yeah, advertising on the portal or on the website has uh, been something we've been striving for, but not yet achieved. Yeah, well, look, I mean, even then, I still want to uh, give a tip to the Stetson to uh, Wargaming because. You know, in the past, there were there were some smaller tournaments that did have Wargaming support, but then they pulled it. And that was, I think, you know, I know that Wargaming has been trying to pivot towards more of a customer service um, facing uh, presence uh, and attitude. And the idea that they are now, um, that they're now getting back into sponsoring these independent player run tournaments, to me, I think is a very good sign. Um did you know there was a tournament a while back? I think it was organized by uh, Gaishu, um, where you did have points. You could spend points to buy ships. You know, mm-hmm. where that sort of, and uh, that reminds me a lot of what you guys are doing here. How did you determine the point values for these different ships? And give me some examples of how you. And is is there like while I'm talking to you, I might want to ask: Can one of you DM me like a link where I can see the cost of each different ship? Yeah, sure. Um, I could. I think I. I think I know them off the top of my head. Um, I think. So to be honest, for this last season, um, we the mod team, myself, JD, and there's about ten other guys that we we've, we've been working behind the scenes trying to make stuff happen, and we came up with this plan. I think tier tens are worth fifteen points. Tier nines are worth thirteen points. Tier eights are worth nine points and then tier seven six and five are all worth respectively the same amount of points we did make a change where the tier fives are tier five and down are all worth tier five so that way we don't as much as we love the mikasa uh we'll we'll potentially be avoiding some mikasa versus schlieffen action (laughs) in the actual tournament um so just to clarify all tier tens have the same point value. Yes, that is correct. And the details here is that Musashi is actually fifteen points, the same as a tier ten. Now, yes, but yeah. why why would it be the same cost as a Yamato, which has better accuracy? Musashi is pretty OP as a tier nine, and that rule might mean that people don't bring Musashi. But we didn't want to make it that Musashi was the only tier nine that was brought, as as evidenced by the the beta tests. Oh, uh, the sure. one other thing I was going to mention, I forgot to say, was uh, to to validate this tier point system. We have conducted both an alpha and a beta test, um, and we've been able to have teams come in, run everything through the ringer under full uh, playoff rule format, and. The feedback from our teams actually was that they could not think of a, a better way to set up this tier system. So that hopefully uh, this could be really good. Uh, it'll really intriguing for uh, the teams to be able to mix and match, keep things fresh, but also pretty competitive. So tell me again the total number of points that you get to spend. I think it's 41 that we're giving teams. 41. So, okay. So in theory, you could have two tier 10s one tier six and one tier five 
Correct. Yes. Yes. Interesting. And then the other team could have something along the lines of four tier eights, which we did see a lot of. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Um, that sounds like a really fun tournament. Do you get to pick your own team? You get to pick your own team. Um, it's teams of four, obviously. Um, we have where you can bring in two substitutes as well. And we also have one mercenary slot. So essentially, you can kind of think of, you can bring a team of seven, and the seventh person can be anybody. They can even technically be from another team. Um, it's just up to the team leader to decide how that person gets rewarded if that team gets rewards. Those, but are, those are some very gentle rules. Um, we, uh, we, yeah. there's, there, there's, we, me and the mod team, we, the whole thing, we're just really trying to be intentional to accommodate the casual player, the, the person who, uh, they're busy, father, they can't play, they can only play a couple nights. Um, the whole schedule, uh, the format, everything is set up for that. <laughs> Well, yeah, in uh, in season two, which launched uh, May 2021, titled Mercuralia, uh, we ran into a lot of issues with teams, you know, scheduling conflicts, and maybe one team doesn't have enough players around, and there was a lot of forfeits. So we thought of this mercenary slot as, hey, if you need a player, you can bring anyone, just throw them in there so that you guys can field a team, and we won't have any more uh, withdrawals or forfeits. And uh, even though it may seem like we're being super, super lean, uh, lenient with this, we're just trying to make sure that all the games get played. That's real. Yeah, that I mean, that's very friendly. It's very gentle. And it's kind of a real low pressure thing in the midst of uh, in between the uh, the clan battle seasons, which we're which we've decided we're going to call um, season 15 point one part one and season 15 part two. It's basically the same season continuing from one to the next and on it sounds to me like if you're really kind of tied as basically that tier 10 um strict meta this is a nice break from it and i mean how many battleships are there um that you can basically choose from here there's what down to tier basically any battleship in the game right correct yes except the hybrids, um, except the hybrids and the massage basically yeah. we also have restrictions where teams can only bring one ship per nation. What? So that also helps. You, you'll see a lot of variability why, if the lineup though, teams will bring. Why that rule? So people don't run four German ships. Although, uh, I, this is uh, a minutia thing perhaps, but on three of our regular season nights, we are going to introduce um, modifiers um, basically they're chaos creators of sorts. Um, but we're going to give teams, I think like six hours before, um, the, the, the regular season night starts, we'll give the teams a couple options on a modifier to vote for, and then they'll vote and whichever one gets the most votes will be implemented. So maybe as a modifier for one of the regular season nights, the, the, the nation modif the nation rule can be removed or the tier point system can be removed or something like that. Or maybe it's sharpened up, so it's just uh, 30 points. Yes. Oh, that would be kind of interesting. Because, I, yeah. yeah. The, the, the biggest issue we ran into before the Ship Nation rule, which has been a rule since Season 1, but I've heard stories from the uh, beta test from Season 1 where teams would bring in, um, you know, uh, Yamato and a Musashi and, you know, something else, 8 and 7, and it was just 
way too much firepower going on in one lineup. Yeah, and uh, but you know, I think that as time goes by, there's going to be enough analogs in each across different nations where you have strong secondary ships. That are now we're seeing strong torpedo ships across multiple nations. Uh, that uh, you know, well, well, I mean, it, it just. But the bottom line is that your your platform or the idea, especially the modifiers, really do add kind of a, a fun factor to it. And um, you know, I know that there's there's a big audience. If you listen to a potato call these videos, he likes to brawl in battleships. And if you like to brawl mm -hmm. in battleships and don't want to have to worry about those pesky destroyers torping you or those cruisers setting you on fire nonstop, um, well, maybe this is the tournament for you. You know. I remember talking, I guess it was a while back, maybe to a sub Octavian saying that, you know, people complain about ships being imbalanced or some ships not being played. But then when you, it, this, I think the real issue isn't just the ship, it's really just the environment because there's some ships that you never see outside of clan battles or rarely do, that don't do so well in randoms. Some ships that do great in randoms, some ships that completely dominate in the 1v1 brawls. Like, mm -hmm. it's, it's basically a game of Tirpitz in Massachusetts and maybe a CV and it's just kind of like you got a rock, paper, scissors between those three. Um, and maybe this is an environment where battleships that uh, maybe got overlooked in the past, they realize a certain synergy and just kind of makes sense. Um, I want to talk to you. You've got donors that are helping with this tournament. Um, Seabink, Anzna and Wargaming. What are these, uh, what are these donors and what does that look like? Let's, and we definitely want to give them a shout out if they're helping you guys. Sure. Um, I can talk about that or yeah, I can, I can talk about that. Um, basically, um, we, ever since season one, the only reason season one took off to the level it did was, um, this all kind of started as like a homebrew, uh, for fun event in the YOLO community. We've been doing silly for fun events, little joustings in the training rooms and whatnot, um, for a while. And somehow, myself and a couple other guys came across this idea of four versus four and pitched it to some of our friendly clans. People got really excited about it and said, this is really cool. We should offer it to more clans. So we opened it up to just the general public. And um, I was expecting something like $200 in prizes. I, I, that would have been my wildest dreams for season one. Cause uh, just whatever. And um, we, I liked little match and all of a sudden it like turned into a wildfire because before I could see anything, it was over like a thousand dollars in prizes. People were just like dropping it off and I was like, okay, cool. Um, so that, uh, put us on the map, uh, as something that we realized people enjoyed enough that they wanted to put their money where their mouth was and offer up prizes for that. We've been really grateful to our donors to come in and do that. Um, season two was the same format. We had similar amount of donors, similar amount of prizes. Um, this season, uh, Wargaming has helped uh, step in to help, uh, in my opinion, with like the sustainability of it, at least on the mod end. Um, it's, it's fun to run this tournament. It's fun to work with the people. It's fun to work with the donors. But it's also like daunting, if you can imagine, like starting out with the season, putting in so much legwork to create the tournament, and then just kind of sitting back and waiting to see what is our actual prize pool going to be because we don't know who's going to donate. Um, so yeah, Wargaming was able to support us. Um, we've also had a really uh, awesome donor come in and give us like $500 uh, 
that would be the uh, ANSNA group. Um, they so what is ASNSA? really help flesh out. Yeah, it. it uh, very grateful for them. They. Uh, that's like the highest tier of our donating. So they uh, get so, all but, the accolades that we what can is have ANSNA? that way. What what are they? It, they are a North America, New Zealand clan, I think. Um, one of uh, their guys actually is now on our mod team. He reached out and said, hey, can I help? So we pulled him in. He's on our team. Uh, Doc Vapors is on our team, our mod team for this tournament. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, information to how to get into contact with them can be found on our Discord if people are interested. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know that much more about them. I know that they're a New Zealand, North America group. What is and they're C-Bank? relatively new. Yes. Right. What is uh, C-Bank? Um, that is, I think they formerly were called uh, SWAC or SWARB. Um, and they're another group that's been donors with us, um, from s- since season one. Um, and they're also helping out this season. Okay. Well, that's very cool. I just, you know, wanted to make sure they got a nice shout out on the podcast and, yep. um, you know, I'm the, uh, uh, the as Anza clan sounds fascinating. We'd love to have them on too. Cause for one of our get to know a clan segments. So please let them know to, to reach out and get in touch. Um, so somebody wants to participate in this tournament. We will have the links downstairs in the description. Um, and, or just audibly what's the easiest way to find out, you know, to, to get involved with this tournament. Um, yeah. so, um we will have links to the discord. Um, if you Google, just Clash of the Classes World of Warships. The first two links are a Reddit post and a World of Warships forum post that have links to all the information. Um, it is not up and running yet, but we are currently working in the background on an official website that will have links to everything. It'll have the tournament page, the schedule, the rule set, registration forms, links to the Discord, all of the Twitch streamers that are participating right now. We have nine Twitch streamers. Wow. And uh, it's not up and running yet, but it will be very shortly. We oh. do have a link on our Discord, the fourth channel down. Um, you click on that link, and it has all pertinent information of the season and just a single uh, page. That's a really useful link as well. And I'll also mention, um, for anybody out there who, for some reason, doesn't have three other friends who can dedicate uh, a couple hours during a week to come and participate on this tournament... Um, we have a looking for a team channel on our Discord, and it's actually uh, well frequented. There's uh, always a handful of people reaching out saying we're looking for a fourth guy, or I'm all by myself looking for a team. And we and it, we really encourage people if you've never been in a tournament, want to get involved, uh, head to our Discord, jump in that channel, and uh, hopefully you'll be able to get in a team that way. Well, look, gentlemen, I'm really glad you're able to join us. And uh, I, my hat is off to you for uh, stepping up and organizing a tournament like this. I know it is often a thankless job, so please let me thank you and let our audience thank you. And uh, again, guys, please check out the links uh, down below and uh, you know watch the streams, set up a team, offer to Merc, and uh, do what you can to support this. All right, thanks, thanks a lot, JD and Hold. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, thanks for, for having us. us.
Max, and I am back here with my co-host for this segment. And I'm not sure he's ever been on the podcast before, but he is the commanding officer of, I would say, the greatest clan in the history of World of Warships, the new guys, uh, Late Lights. Have you been on the podcast before? I have been on the podcast one time where we sunk the Kaaba. Oh, yeah. As, as the ship. So that was fun. Well, it's always good to have a returning guest. Um, and uh, we actually have two additional very special guests with us today. Um, when I saw what these folks had done, um, it completely blew my mind. And I thought, you know what? We really got to figure out how they managed to do this. Uh, we're talking now to two of the, I think, leaders of the Penta clan. They are on EU, Blood Legend and Vile. Um, among their accomplishments as a clan is they have won the uh, regional EU COTS four times. They've won international COTS, the overall uh, King of the Seas tournament, twice. They've topped the leaderboard in Europe for clan battles eight times, and they have three global championships from overall clan battles across all, uh, all of the regions, North America, Russia, Asia, and EU. And what's particularly remarkable to me is this last season where they ran up a clan rating of over 500 and a win rate of about 90%, which I think is remarkable. And uh, we're really lucky to have them and, and find out how the heck they did it. Welcome, welcome, Vile and Blood Legend. Hello. Yep. Hello. Good to be here. So, um, what kind of crazy hacks do you guys have? Because maybe, uh, maybe we could use them too. Well, I mean, no kind of hacks, just uh, a lot of dedication and people crazy enough to still compete in this game, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, now, uh, I, uh, you're, you're, uh, clan name in-game is penta.gg and I went to penta.gg and it turns out that you guys um, really have your stuff together uh, you look like your professional gaming group great gaining clan, gaining team and you've got, you compete in Clash of Clans, Rainbow Six something called Crossfire World of Warships and the National Hockey League yeah I mean we've just recently uh, teamed up with uh, Penta um so this just happened like roughly one and a half month ago when we officially joined them and um yeah i mean we just wanted to utilize um you know our success as kind of like a ramp towards you know maybe it achieving something that nobody else has done in the world of warships community and trying to to get these gaming organizations interested and obviously we were able to you know kind of be appealing or seem appealing to them because we have such a you know nice track record and yeah eventually through hard work and a lot of time we we actually managed to get in contact with uh, some people and uh, yeah we made it happen and we are yeah very happy about it so, and i think it's a great thing for the community overall that this is getting started so you guys were a sort of your own regular world of warships clan and then there's this uh sponsor kind of entity that sponsors teams called penta and you got them to sponsor you that's how this came to be yeah basically it's yeah it's uh well yeah, it's it, a, 
if I can ask a, a rather rude question, please forgive me, but what did they give you guys? Did you get like money or jerseys or do they do they build you a gamer house so you can all live together and <laughs> sleep together and, and have the room where you all play world of warships together i mean yeah i i thought this question would come and obviously since we're in an official relationship with the team it's sad to say but i'm i'm not really in a position to uh, give you guys any details but i can tell you it's a very positive relationship otherwise we wouldn't have done it we wouldn't have done it if the organization would you know be some throat cutting people that just ripped you off no it's 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 a group of really great people that we are working with and yeah it's it's a good relationship overall yeah i mean you guys i mean penta has an app i i'm not sure uh like, like if there are any other clans that we're aware of that have their own app so that fans can follow them um but that is that's pretty nifty so congrats on you guys getting that well by the way just for reference for those of us who follow um you uh clans um what was your name before joining penta oh you're band cv right was that you guys yes so we were originally twa for a long time and then we swapped to band cv and yeah now we're penta it's pretty remarkable um so let's talk about this clan battle season. Let's just talk some fundamentals. Um, what strategy did you run? How many times did you change it during the season? What would your ship lineup look like? Yeah, uh, I guess I'll take this one. Um, we definitely, um, we definitely had uh, a bunch of different stuff. We tried out. It was a long season, uh, even longer than the normal seasons, as far as I know. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's something. It's something uh, we noticed, you know, over the over the different seasons and the years. You definitely um, the meta shifts during the season. You know, you start out with something, and uh, uh, teams teams pick up different things. They adapt to how you play, and you also have to adapt, and you kind of have to stay ahead of the curve. So that was pretty much our goal, and I think we succeeded it in very well where we started uh, tried to stay ahead of head of the curve um, of other teams whenever things were starting to get stale we would kind of mix things up throw some curveballs and that was definitely one of the big uh, key factors for our success i feel so how many times do you think you revised your your strategy and your lineup throughout the seasons well whenever we started losing i guess <laughs> I mean, uh that was definitely a few different setups it's uh what uh, what, what, what lineup exactly, did you what lineup did you end up with in the end what were you guys bringing ah uh, the very last one ah yes well that would have been well a lot of it was the same as everyone because you have ships like petro moskva uh, ragnar where at least in europe basically everyone runs and you have the two battleships i think for us at the end might have been kremlin ohio uh, but then, I think, what am I missing then? Yeah, well, definitely we brought up the Radar Mino. I don't think we saw many other uh, clans using that, which worked out really well for us. I think it might have been Napoli, the last ship in the lineup. So you yeah, Napoli, exactly. So you ran one destroyer, but I guess sort of a semi-destroyer in the form of a Radar Minnow. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, can you really call a Ragnar a destroyer? It was actually a Salem originally, that Ragnar, but then we convinced uh, 
you know, I think it was Anle who came up with that, that one that, yeah, Ragnar actually is just a better cruiser and destroyer, so. <laughs> yeah, I played it a few games myself, I can certainly appreciate it. Um, so that initial lineup, though, if it was a Salem, there was no destroyer. Yeah, no. Wow. Which, uh, I don't know if um, to anyone uh, who's followed us, you know, that's something we've definitely also tried tried before in many, many different formats. That's uh, that's pretty remarkable because, I mean, you, you see that there are innovators and then the imitators. And I guess as you're yeah. the innovators, you, you know, like, what? No destroyer? What? A radar minnow that just gets wrecked from every angle by, uh, you know, I guess... I mean, so you you constantly got to be on your feet, and then you know everybody kind of copies it or uh, tries to counter it. So you just come up with something else, something new. Um, it's it's really remarkable because again, you do, you do. I don't think we we see too many clans that really push the envelope in terms of innovation because they're just afraid to take the risk. I mean, have you ever like tried? How many times do you run a strat before? How many losses do you have to take before you realize it's not going to work? Or are you theoretically? Um, uh, intelligent enough, I guess, to make that determination without having to run it into real battles. So, um, it really just depends. Like, a loss is not just a loss, right? You really have to analyze what was the root cause of it. And that might not immediately tell you, oh, I have to swap out the strat right now because we lost right it could be due to some player mistakes that you lost the last game and then you don't necessarily have to change up the strategy it's really you have to analyze what happened you have to kind of feel out the meta to an extent that uh, where you ask yourself is this strategy still working against what the majority of people are doing um, at this given time and then you'll decide you'll just run it through your head see what are the strength of your strategies what are your weaknesses and uh, yeah you just go with that and one thing i wanted to quickly uh, pick up on um, because you were talking about the different phases of strats we went through and i certainly didn't play a whole lot this season that's uh, why uh, vile kind of like talked you through it but one thing i definitely um, have picked up because i just followed it right and and I think that was really remarkable is we um, started out using Nevsky quite a lot, put it inside smoke screens, yep. right? And it took uh, who's, people, who's smoke screens, uh, by the way, sorry, what, what ship would you use to set the smoke screen? Uh, we did use Harugumo uh, okay. quite a lot. So we used that combination and it worked really great that got us some really high win rates early to mid season and it usually usually what happens is people play against us they will lose to that strategy once or twice and then you already start seeing people copying it but with the nevsky inside a smoke screen in this kind of meta it really took people a long time to pick up on it and here comes the genius thing so people started picking it up again, right? And then what is the vulnerability to Nevsky inside smoke screens? Well, rapid aggression, right? Because you want to shoot inside a smoke screen with Nevsky? Well, have fun. You're spotting detectability inside the smoke screen is 10 kilometers. So if you can figure out how to push it, then it all of a sudden is no strength anymore. It becomes a weakness. And this is exactly when we swapped to a full cruiser lineup 
at the time when people started to actually see the strength of the Nevsky, but now they couldn't utilize it anymore that often against us because we changed it. So that's really, really the key takeaway of, you know, how much thought goes into um, what strats to run and just really um, paying attention to what others are doing as well. You know, that's really remarkable because uh, every you know, there's one clan um, on North America that I think is particularly good at innovating. I'd say that's probably uh, Geisha's clan. They change the name constantly. so it's, But they're one of the few in North America that really like does some radical stuff like that. And I can see you guys s- similar mindset because, again, there's such to learn and develop a new strat and figure out whether or not it's going to work is such a big risk that they, you know, uh, if they have a strategy that wins like 60% of the time or 70% of the time, it's good enough, right? And eventually over time, the meta shifts and it gradually shifts down. And then, you know, they just modify it a little bit just sort of to tread water at 6% farming points off of, uh, you know, the, the less experienced clans, but to really dominate it. Because to, to come as far away at the top as you were, it's not enough to just beat most clans um, most of the time. To have that type of lead, you basically need to consistently beat the number two and number three clans, and number four and number five. And th- that just, uh, the difficulty level just seems so much higher, and the requirement for coming up with innovative strategies um, must have been, was it invigorating or was it exhausting? uh i mean both i guess um and we we have to also um talk about briefly about format uh this season regarding coming up with tactics because it was actually um you know with the limitations of uh no unique ships that actually um actually made it uh kind of tough uh to try and innovate like we really had to sit down and think like to come up with something that's not only just different but also like actually strong so so yeah and uh the nevsky the nevsky thing definitely was a theme this season we ran that thing for a very long time i think before people other people started picking it up i was very successful with it and but yeah it was it was i i remember actually very clearly it was we, we ran the hard nevsky and uh other people i think started using uh Somersnevsky. and that was around the time when we started dying our torpedoes with our haru and our nevsky where we, when we decided that okay yeah we don't want to flip this game on torp- torps when both teams are playing the exact same setup we can play our own setup and we can do a lot better uh if we have you know playmaking potential and the game is not coming down to like coin flips like that so yeah, it's coin flips do not give you a ninety percent win rate. Um, and exactly. Two ships that uh, I don't think we saw too much of in North American clan battles from anybody, either the Nevsky or the Minnow. Um, Late light, you played uh, quite a few more clan battles than me. Did you see many many Nevskys or Minnows? There were a couple teams that were sort of doing the the smoke smoking a Nevsky with a Harugamo or, or some other DPM cruiser with a Harugamo, but it was it was super uncommon and I always kind of wondered where it came from. I wonder if they stole it from you guys. Maybe. Yeah. Could yeah. be. You know, uh, we actually um, found a strategy. They sort of spread like, like a virus. 
Um, there was a strategy that was started by a guy who used to play EU, I'm sorry, used to play US, moved to EU, I think it's Dastert, right? And it was one of those smoke smoke strategies where you, I think it was either Summers or Gearing would smoke up two Woosters. And then like right at the end of the season, it had migrated from EU to NA server and we started seeing it there. And I think two seasons ago, a couple seasons back, um, the top Asian clan was actually pulling that uh, radar minnow into very aggressive um, uh, destroyer positions. It, they did it for a while because folks didn't know how to handle it. And then when it didn't work anymore, they swapped it out and it changed to something different. Um, did you guys think that the move to one ship of each type uh, was a good move or a bad move? or And, and how did it, you know, obviously you said it made things more difficult for you, but um, how, how, did it push innovation or did it hamper it? I mean, first of all, we were happy to not see any carriers or submarines. So yes. that was already like a plus. Uh, we were happy about that. And next season is still going to be without those two classes. So all good on that front. But regarding your question, um, it's a bit difficult because initially everyone was happy, right? But sooner or later, I mean, okay, pretty much before the season, we already knew this was going to be a very stale season uh, with where the meta is going to basically set itself on one lineup that's very dominant. And then you're going to have to really figure out these details. And yes, okay, it was annoying to an extent, right? But... Um, it also just feels real good to be able to innovate in this type of season where innovation is usually something you wouldn't come across too often. So in a sense, I don't know. I mean, yes, okay, I wouldn't be completely against playing this one again, but at, on the other side, if you'd come up with the same rules for the next one, which I don't think they're doing, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, but um, it would just be a little bit too much. It would be a little bit too stale and people would lose interest fast. And this already happened in this season. Like at the end of the season, it was hard to, um, you know, keep motivating people to show up uh, because, well, it was mostly the same stuff over and over. So, uh, yes, it was a good feeling to be able to come out on top in this season, but it was a pain and usually the games wouldn't be that enjoyable compared to the you know old format of just you know one battleship six six other ships no restrictions have added do you by the way the next season is in fact exactly the same as this one um mm, in okay. fact i almost yeah. consider the next season to be like part two of the same season just, just get a little mm -hmm. breather in part two and i'm sure it will pick off the meta will pick off right where it was left off unless some of these new ships uh, that are coming out shake it up and i'm not Maybe. i'm not sure i mean you know what do we have we have the sherman forest and we have the incomparable and i think uh, am i missing anything well the forest sherman hasn't dropped yet i don't think um and we don't know if there will be any additional like if you know wargaming might say they've said what the format is but they haven't said if there's going to be any you know ship bands like hey you can't bring in ohio because everybody brought in Ohio, you know, they could change something up like that. Um, but if they don't do that, I don't see it changing too much from the last day of this season. Yep. It just picks right. It's like summer break or spring break in, you know, that, that spring semester of school. 
Um, so what does a week look like during clan battles in Penta? Because you've got, you got 16 hours a week that you potentially could be playing clan battles. But, you know, how many of those hours do you use and what do you do on the hours outside of that? What does a, a week look like in the uh, most elite clan, at least for the last clan battle season? Well, uh, for the clan battle... Clan battles part, uh, I can tell you, it's definitely not uh, 16 hours a week that we've put in. Uh, you know, uh, due to people's limitations, time, and just uh, they will not want to invest. Uh, I think this um, this season we did end up playing. Uh, I think like most sessions, I would say. Uh, me myself, I was there. I think I have the most games. Uh, this uh, this season in the clan, I was always there. As the that's the token clan battles addict. Uh, so I was I was there most of the time. But we, you know, it, we didn't always play full sessions. There's always like if you play four hours a night with like the same seven people, or even rotate one or two. Like uh, uh, people do actually kind of uh, can lose focus. Uh, so it's not always even even the best to play play for that long. Um, so yeah and then there's the, also the other factor which came into play uh, well probably latter half of the season which is uh queue times for uh, a clan that is up there so we basically as much as we uh ended up playing we also ended up sitting in the queue when when our queue times towards the end of the season were getting to like we were expecting the 12 minute queue right which seemed to be kind of some kind of hard limit uh, set by Wargaming, unless it was one literally one of the, the top, one or two top clans where the queue would be shorter. So it was a lot of sitting in queue. <laughs> what do you guys uh, do while you're sitting in queue? Uh, well, uh, we, um, Maybe well, something I, like I, this. <laughs> Not a lot. Yeah, just I think just chatting shit, and uh, I mean there was some scribble IO sessions that happened in queue. You know, whatever we could do to like. Uh... <laughs> oh, all right, that's cool. That's cool. Um, but outside of clan battle time, I mean, were there like a uh, group study sessions, or would the battle call, or maybe a couple others, just sort of do strategy focus sessions? What, how, you know, where would that come about? Um, I mean, it's not very, it's not rare that uh, the team would actually spend easily one hour after clan battles uh, just, you know, analyzing things, talking things through, potentially figuring out something new if that is needed. Um, it's not very rare that uh, people just get into these discussions after clan battle sessions. Um, so I'd say at least half the time uh, people are still chatting uh, about what happened on that day and if there's anything to improve up on yeah how did you yeah, guys especially if there's something uh something to yeah especially if there's something to the needs to be changed right if, if things more if things are going wrong you know the, where there's gonna be discussion about it be it like after the session or before the next session you know if we need to make changes to the lineup or you know uh if, if we are losing then the there's a reason we are losing. Sometimes the reason is just uh, some bad luck or some bad uh, individual performances, which is completely normal. And, you know, we brush it over like that. Uh, sometimes there's something wrong with the setup, the tactics. We need to uh, we need to go over so we don't make the same mistakes twice. So 
how does battle management work? Is there a singular battle caller that's in charge of things like you know what the strategy is and who is on the bench and who comes in, uh, or is that done collectively? How do you figure that out? Well, um, <clears throat> we are. I'd say we do it different than most other people, um, in a sense that there are no um, traditional FCs or field commanders or leaders or whatever you want to call it um, in the team. Yes, there are um, you know senior members in the team that have played competitive since forever, <laughs> um, but one thing that we pay very close attention to is. Um, high-level communicative uh, skills and this then translates into individuals literally every individual on the team being able to make a call and then everyone else kind of following up on it because one thing that I can definitely tell you is that if you play in a high competitive situation and you play with people that know this game in and out their intuition in certain situations or in most situations is going to be correct and it is then just it is then on us <clears throat> to <clears throat> follow up on that and quickly react to this intuition um, to enable this person to actually make the play that he just saw um, is possible because yes you can make a play right but usually you can make a play only in a certain time window right and if your team is not able to communicate this quick quickly enough and people maybe don't feel like they have the authority to make the call I, you know i'm doing this play now and then everyone else is following up if they if they don't feel like they have the, the means to do it or if they don't feel like they're supported enough they don't have the authority, then that's a really bad thing because now you've just missed that opportunity of a potential play that will win you the game because it's 7v7, right? Mm -hmm. If you can get one chunky salvo into someone uh, or even take this, one, uh, this, this, uh, this other ship out because of this one person that had this great intuition, well, then you should really work on trying to have that happen more often. That's uh, some remarkable insight. Um, so... How does recruitment work in Penta? Because to have the kind of folks that can play in this hive mind uh, manner probably requires a very high skill set and probably a, a long uh, onboarding consideration process. How do you how do you find new people to join your clan and figure out whether or not they they really fit? Well, uh, I mean, I guess the simple answer is uh, you know we put people in who seem capable and we just test them like trial by fire um and i can say as someone uh who joined you know uh twa and pansivi penta uh not that long ago considering the history of the clan um i mean it's been a while now uh, i don't know what it's been like year two two years and a half yeah Almost. uh but i can tell like from my because uh from my experience because we were obviously already a very established clan with uh, very much like similar dynamic uh, in the team, that yeah, uh, the, it can be a tough progress uh, a process. Sorry for for the recruits. Uh, you basically, but yeah, you know, it's a it's a top elite clan. Like you just gotta you gotta 
you gotta prove yourself. Um, that's really all there is to it. And uh, I mean, uh, we we give people time. We have some recruits right now uh, playing with us. Played uh, for this season. Clan battles is actually one of the better better ways uh, I feel to trial people. It's uh, you have a lot of games. You know, if you make uh, some mistakes, it's not like you're losing losing a tournament because of it. So you know, you feel comfortable having people in where that might happen. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's really just a trial trial by fire. It can definitely be intimidating for people. Uh, you have some strong personalities in the clan, and like uh, yeah, but um, but like like Blood said, for us, kind of the goal goal in the team is to have you know seven people who are all you know very strong players and all know what to do most of the time without having someone tell them, right? So that's what you need to be uh, capable of. And uh, yeah. That's that's remarkable. I mean, I w- I'd love to be in a fly on the wall watching you guys play clan battles, listening to the voice comms, although, uh, you know, you has, uh, unlike, unlike most of NA where pretty much everybody, with a few exceptions, speaks English, um, you've got the EU where I guess a lot of people do speak English, but their their primary language, their home language, is something else. Uh, what what is the official language of your clan? Hmm. Obviously English, but we have a lot of German people, so we like to joke that you know maybe we could run a full German team. Yeah, yeah I, mean, so I was wondering. Like, uh... so are, where are your players from? Are, are, is it mo- mostly German and a mix of what else? Uh, I think like maybe at the current in the current team, there's in the current uh, competitive roster maybe like 30 40 percent germans and then the rest really all over europe we yeah just international play. yeah yeah that's how I it mean, tends to be uh there's a lot of german players uh in a lot of lot of the top clans but yeah and then the rest is just from wherever in europe really well we're we're blessed to have our very own uh elite german player on north america who's on one of our frontliners uh righteous fury and we're very you know he's he's been with us I think almost since the beginning, going all the way back to maybe season three or season four. And uh, so we we really appreciate, I mean, I, I could, like, like, could you imagine a team of seven righteouses? <laughs> I, I don't know if I could handle, handle that. I don't know if righteous could handle that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Righteous I mean, is a treasure trove of knowledge about World of Warships, and he does like to talk about it a lot. And almost everything else. <laughs> We, we love you, Righteous, if you're listening to it. And uh, but uh, that it's sort of because you always have that that national multi-nation dynamic with these some of these EU teams where you know maybe some teams are solely you know everybody's Spain. And there are a few of those in North America. I think we've got a few Bra- actually Brazilian dedicated teams and uh, Canadian dedicated teams. Well, I think that more than half of TNG is probably Canadian, and the other half is maybe Texan. Sound about right, Late Light? Yeah, uh, that is uh, that's the recruiting requirement. Yeah, must be from either the uh, nation's top hat or the nation's boot. Um, well, look, um, I, I I was wondering um, what advice you guys might give to a clan that's like eh, struggling. Maybe they make Hurricane here or there. Maybe it's like a storm clan and just has aspiring for, for greatness. What advice would you give to clans that look up to you and what you've accomplished? Um, you want to go ahead? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I'll go first, and you can follow up. I mean, 
first thing that comes to mind for me is just I think uh, critical thinking mindset, uh, always looking to improve. If you, if something is if something is going wrong, you're losing uh, games. Let's say um, you should be looking at first of all like why, uh, what is what is going wrong, how can we how can we improve this, and uh, yeah, it's I mean it's really just a competitive competitive mindset that you know um, hopefully a lot of top top competitive players competitive people should share, where yeah you're really just looking at looking at ways to improve con- constantly like even even us right we're at the top but we're constantly still doing it if, if something is wrong we're trying to figure out figure out why trying to always always get better so that is like for me personally that is the number one thing just that kind of like mindset and then then there's other things and uh you know if clan struggling clan i mean i've been in different clans before myself less prestigious ones and uh yeah it, it can be tough you know uh you you gotta work with what you have uh play to play to your own strengths sometimes you know you don't always have roster of seven star players who you know think and breathe the game all the time you know um but really it's just um yeah i don't know it's uh, it's different for everyone but the mindset is a big thing for sure yeah, and something to follow up on is um, <clears throat> you really have to pay attention to the strength of your people. Um, like you said, Val, these type of uh, clans that we're giving advice to right now obviously don't have a star lineup as in, you know, people who are really experienced, uh, you know, have been in the competitive scene for a long time at the top. So um, for someone who is trying to manage a team in the realms of let's just say you know storm or lower typhoon or wherever right kind of applies to everyone really um is you really have to know uh, what individual people are good at you know type of ship class and then you have to give them the opportunity to just really get into a groove, especially in, in the CBs, where you play game after game after game, and you get rid of these mistakes by giving these anchors in your team more playtime. And you really only, let's say, need, if you're a team of seven, you really need maybe two or three people who who play in the team very consistently, right? And maybe you even put them on... Uh, on ships that are important for your strategy. Um, key ships like, let's say, maybe a battleship and a Petro and a DD, right? Have a good mix. Spread them around. Don't have them all sitting at one spot. Spread them around the battlefield so these more experienced uh, people that know the ins and outs of these positions that you're playing can share this advice or these informations with the people that you want to swap in and out because obviously you want to give people playtime right that's important so nobody gets frustrated but you really you're playing in a competitive environment and you're not gonna improve if you just swap out the team left right and center all the time because that's really gonna hinder your your progress because it's it's not the same team all the time right so yeah, that's what makes it difficult, and that's why I think you should really focus on these two or three uh, positions. Yeah, and uh, actually have a good kind of good example. I feel like from this this season, uh, 
of what Blood is saying. Um, like when it comes to, for example, uh, to the smoke Plasnevsky combination, um, there's a reason why me personally, I was on Harugumo duty for basically uh, like majority of the season, as like when we were playing the setup. And we, I would also, if possible, have the same same person on the Nevsky. Uh, and it's it's I, I have you know all the tier tens in my port. I can play them, but it's uh, it, it's definitely something I've seen other teams struggle with when they uh, you know quote unquote try to let's say copy our homework. They try to do the smoke Nevsky thing. I saw many teams really really to struggle with the synergy there. Uh, that that actually just gave us wins sometimes uh, because uh, you know. They're, they're, they're trying to do something which requires coordination, it requires practice, something you just get better at over time. And it's also the same, I did some uh, mercenary work uh, for a uh, Storm Clan earlier this season, and it was kind of the same thing. We tried to, <laughs> we tried to do the smoke smoke thing down there, and it was just like, you know, you, could, you can see the difference of what, it, what it's like when you have, when you have the top-level players really like just do the same thing over and over and over again, even in across formats, even uh, and how how they you you know iron these details down and how it it actually it does make a difference in changes thing. It's not as simple as you know you might think. You know uh, something like destroyer cruiser playing together, laying the smoke. It's, it sounds easy, but there's actually a lot of a uh, lot of things that go into it, and uh, I think that's just something you kind of pick up over time. I got a question for you guys. Um, we saw this in, in NA a little bit where sort of teams made Hurricane and then maybe they played for their Hurricane Steel and then they just sort of quit, right? Like they stopped playing. Do you guys have any problems with, I mean, you guys had what, 500 points on a Hurricane rating. How do yeah. you motivate? How do you motivate people to keep showing up after the rewards are gone and after Hurricane is achieved and after you you guarantee a good spot in the, the leaderboard and stuff like that do you have any problems with people being like ah, i think i might be done or do you guys just have like some serious hardcore clan battle people that'll play until the end i think the the biggest issue is if if the format is getting stale like that's when i saw some people who normally are there saying like you know we're, if we're, everyone is playing the same setup we are playing the same setup it's no longer fun to play because i think most people uh, most people for us simply enjoy playing the uh, the game at like a high high competitive level. That, that in itself is fun. Like the rewards are kind of a bonus at that point. And then there's obviously uh, a motivation factor if you want to look for one. Like obviously finishing well global number one or even Europe number one, which was like I think Europe number one was like the goal. Getting global number one is kind of a bonus and came along. But those are definitely things that uh, do motivate people. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess. Uh, <laughs> did you guys ever try any inter-clan, uh, inter-server, clan battles hopping on during different time zones? Ah, um, yes, we did. In fact, one session this season, and I believe it might have been, if not the very last session we played. Um, one of the very last sessions where we actually came over to NA for a night. You know, uh, was, uh, the Thursday, last Thursday. I, I imagine that if you have a novel strategy that has been wearing a little thin on your home server, taking it on the road probably nets you quite a few more points. 
Um, yeah, uh, that's what we thought too. It is definite. It's a it's a double-edged sword because everyone on NA is playing a new thing we've never seen. Also, but definitely, like I, you know, if we did that more consistently, it would probably be an advantage for us. Uh, you know, because uh, one of the I'd say, uh, you know, one of the things we have to worry about during a long season when you play the same top clans uh, multiple times on the same map, you know, you're playing the same lineup for a while, you know, people people adapting uh, to what you're doing. You know, if someone knows beforehand what you're going to do, then that makes the game suddenly, well, I would say it makes it easier for them to play, right? So, it, and harder for us, right? So, especially when we are uh, kind of I consider us some some someone who like likes to innovate, you know, and like uh, get an advantage that way. So, yeah, definitely, it's uh, we didn't really consider uh, too much like playing on other servers because it simply wasn't like necessary. I would say. Uh, I guess with a ninety percent win rate, maybe not, but uh, yeah, yeah. But it's and it's certainly, I mean, an exploit in a way, and I mean. It's honestly, I don't really know whose server has the best players. I think EU has a larger player base, which tends to yield a more advanced top end player. But I know that NA has also taken it down in COTS Global before. Um, yeah, so that, you know, I think uh, you've exhausted our questions. And I know where you are, it's really late right now. So, unless, Late Light, you have any, any other questions for these guys? Uh, no, I, it's been it's been nice to hear from you guys, though. Yeah, some really interesting stuff, out, and I'm sure that our audience enjoyed it. And then maybe you know, when the next time you win global, we'll have you back again to talk about. It. We're going to talk about season 15 part two. Um, yeah, uh, actually, I'll quickly, uh, I'll let blood go as well after, but I'll quickly uh, comment on that uh, season 15 part two, uh, which blood already answered. But for me, as someone who played. Over 200 games this season. I'm. I have to say, I have very mixed feelings about uh, Wargaming bringing back the exact same format for the next season. Because, like you know, like we said, no CVs, no subs. That that is great and all. Tier 10, also great. And, and there has to be kind of some limitations because we have ships in the game like Petro, uh, Ragnar, whatever. So you know, limitations like fine. But I, I personally feel like what they did. Like with the unique ships, it, it during a long season, it it does does get stale. If we're gonna get the same thing again, where people you know already have the meta kind of figured out, it's I don't know how that's gets. It's, we'll have to see. It might it might be a big big grind. Like for example, I think we could have seen something like, let's say um, a maximum of two of the same ship. I think would have been good. Or you know going back to the one battleship in a seven versus seven format, which a lot of I know. Uh, top players enjoy or prefer over the current format so yeah definitely some mixed feelings about that but uh, I, I'm sure we'll end up still playing the next season and have to see how that goes did any of your lineups this year um, or this season only have one battleship or no battleships no I think we I think we always had to pretty sure yeah okay yeah, I, I mean, it, it is a grind. It's going to be exactly the same thing. But the only, you know, what might change is maybe the maps are different, maybe some different maps. And uh, any of these ships that have come out, I mean, you'd like to write them off as not being able to uh, 
find a role in competitive, but sometimes somebody finds a way to stick one in, just like, uh, you know, a Radar Minnow. And I think that there was another clan this season in North America who's, again, probably overall the strongest clan, uh, was bringing a Zhao. So, okay. go figure. Well, that has to be memeing. <laughs> What's that? Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that has to just be memes. I mean, because if you're really just looking at it, this hour is, uh, yeah, it's not a competitive ship at all. I, so, I, yeah. I would agree, but then, anyway, um, look, thanks for coming by. Um, down below, we will have uh, plugs to the uh, Twitch streams, to the penta.gg website. I encourage everybody to go uh, take take a look. And uh, so, but but no, seriously, how do you guys have an NFL team? <laughs> NHL. I mean, NHL. Look, uh, I mean, look, it's it's a it's a big uh, you know gaming orc, and they've been around they've been around for a long time. Uh, before I mean, before I joined them, I I knew them since oh, like f- five years already. So they've been around for a long time, and uh, yeah, they've invested in a lot of different paths. Uh, maybe not the most stereotypical ones, um, but uh, yeah. These games exist, and these games definitely have uh, thriving competitive scenes. Otherwise, uh, the org wouldn't have picked up on them. All right. Well, um, with that, uh, I guess we'll uh, let you gentlemen go. And I encourage again our audience, please check out the links down below. And uh, gentlemen, I hope we have you again sometime soon. All right. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yep, thanks. Struggling with your PR, win rate, and free fall? Turn your potato into a... Tornado? Yikes. Who writes this? With Get to Know a Ship segment. And we're back, and I am here with my guest co-host, Samo, a fellow TNG member. How are you doing, Samo? Doing great, Simbarks. So, let me ask you a question. Um, what would you say is the most garbage tier 10 steel ship? ship probably Plymouth in this continent I think that is definitely the consensus choice the Plymouth in fact if we look at the overall statistics um, at least in North America on the Plymouth it actually underperforms in average damage both the Minotaur and the Goliath the Goliath by about 20,000 and the win rate is about the same as the Minotaur under the Goliath and, and keep in mind though that Whenever you have like a new or exclusive ship, who do you think's the people that are getting it? Do you think the average potato is getting a Plymouth? No, it's it's the elite of the elite. So while there are 3.3 million Minotaur games and every potato's out there, you know, rolling broadside, just getting wrecked, as often happens in that ship, there's only 40,000 Plymouth games. So despite its elite player base, again, it's it's a steel ship and not necessarily very uh, uh, popular one compared to other ones like Stalingrad, Bourjon, uh, Summers when it was out, you know, all these other wonderful steel ships. Despite that, it has a, about the same win rate as a Minotaur. So, would it? Would you be surprised, or would you believe me, Samo, if I told you our very special guest here 
has a win rate in the Plymouth after 112 games of, get this, 74% and an average damage of 118K. But not only that, when we look at his solo stats of nearly 50 battles, it goes up to a win rate of 77% and an average damage of 122,000. His numbers went up when we look at just his solo stats and subtract, you know, the times he's run around with a div of two or three fellow Unicoms. Are, are, does, doesn't this make you a little bit curious about what kind of magic or hacker skills this individual must have, Samo? Well, certainly the radar would help getting DDs to boost win rate. Well, and yeah, but everybody has that, so that, that doesn't show, like, in the overall numbers of being basically a, a trash ship, a trash steel ship. Anyway, uh, we are here with a very special guest, the the clear leader on the leaderboard for the Plymouth, Derp, with Clan, well done. Derp, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. You were the first, this is your first time on with us, and I'm really glad that uh, you're so flexible. In fact, we just reached out to you today, and I was like, yeah, I'll come in and talk about it. Uh, what fundamentally do so many people get wrong about the Plymouth? Um, see, this is a hard one. There's so many things I can say about it, but if I had to say one thing, it's like it might just be the versatility of it, which is surprising since you don't have high explosive right but the things you can pull off in the Plymouth are is kind of uh crazy and many people don't expect you to do it so if i had to say one thing it's probably the versatility of the ship so because i'm actually looking at your you know this is a good measure because we had um bison to come on to talk about hayate and uh he he was like basically admitted that look yeah it's not my best destroyer there are other stories that play better, etc. But when I look at your your random stats, um, it certainly performs better for you than the Minotaur, the Gibraltar, the Goliath. In fact, when I add in your other um, uh, ships, uh, the, it it completely dominates. And you're a very strong player, like definitely a Unicom player, super Unicom player. Um, the Plymouth is essentially your strongest cruiser. Um, what are you What do you think you're doing that that other people aren't doing. What t tell us a little bit about your mindset when you go into the game, driving a Plymouth. All right. Um, so, basically, in no other destroyer besides maybe the Minotaur, because I play the Minotaur. You mean uh, cruiser? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, cruiser. Yes. Um, so with Plymouth, right? You can play it in kind of an aggressive manner with since you have the smoke radar combo, kind of like the Belfast of Tier Seven. Um, so my checklist basically right as I go into the game is I basically kind of just head first into the cap that I spawn at or any cap that has one of my DDs that's or wherever one of my DDs is going basically because you can play in a sort of way that you can get away with just basically face planting into a cap as I said and then chunking their destroyer for if not all of his health around half of it and that opens up a lot of opportunities for you and your team. So, um, yeah, first of all, basically, I'm trying to kill destroyers to start off the game. Um, not only does that, you know, help the win rate, as we talked about, but also that opens up um, farming damage later in the game to, you know, get the average of 115, 120k, whatever 
It is, and um, that basically differs from all the other cruisers because if you look at, like, I don't know, my Smolensk or something like that, my top priority is definitely not to face face first into a cap and kill the destroyer because you're going to die. Um, it's to farm the battleships and then shoot the occasional destroyer that's spotted, but you're not doing your own spotting. In the Plymouth, you know, your detect is 9.2, your radar is 9, so right as you get spotted, if you're face planting, you're going to be able to radar and instantly detect their destroyer. And it, it's just like, people aren't really prepared for it to see a Plymouth in their face greeting them with the cap, you know, they're more worried about your destroyer, but... Yeah, it's definitely just that surprise at the beginning of the game. That's my overall strategy that differs from all my other cruisers because I don't really own another cruiser that has the um, ability to do what I can do in the Plymouth besides the Minotaur. But you lack the smoke, so you don't have an you you don't have a good disengage. Yeah, and you do have a significant number of games, and you know, still super Unicom Unicom type uh, PR win rate in all of those ships um, that that we're discussing here. Uh, so. Like it seems to me that Plymouth, and you know, we for you don't see a lot of Minotaur in competitive, partially because of the coordination of um, long-term, uh, sorry, long-distance 12k Soviet radar. Has that? Uh, how do you overcome that when you're playing in a Plymouth, when it can basically light you up, and then their whole team, it's like you're going to be the favorite thing for them to shoot at? Because, I mean, that's what I like best about Plymouth is when you shoot them, they just kind of explode. See, that's that's also what I uh, want to talk about too. Is that it's like surprisingly, it's surprisingly survivable. Um, it's rare that I get you know dev struck in a Plymouth. I know when I play minnow that I get dev struck probably half the games, and that's coming from me, who I think I'm a relatively good minnow player, and I still get dev struck, you know. But Plymouth, I probably can count on one hand how many times I've been dev struck, just because like there's just something about. Um, sitting in a smoke, and say you do get radar, right? And you usually, if you can pick it up on the map, you know where the Russian cruisers are. So when they're within 12 kilometers, you know that there's a chance you're going to get radared. So you basically want to position yourself in a way that you can kind of abuse the fact that, A, you have a 50-millimeter deck in the middle of your ship, 51 to be exact, and two, you have, you know, British acceleration, whereas... Most Russian radars, even though they're 12 kilometers, they're short duration. So you basically have to dodge one, maybe two salvos if it's like, you know, like one one salvo that's going to kill you, two if it's like a Stalin and he can overmatch you. You have to dodge basically one salvo. So you can kind of angle in a way that you can accelerate out of the first shot and then you're mostly going to be good. And then you just have to worry about um, not drifting out of your smoke. But to me personally, 12... the you know, the radars haven't been a huge issue because you're usually um, trying to be in a position where uh, only a few ships can shoot at you and most of the Russian cruisers aren't going to be able to kill you outright by themselves. Are, are you saying um, that the, uh, they don't get as much, A, because you're too armored or because you just, it's, all, everything comes out as an overpen? There's a lot of overpens. And I mean, like for me, I basically just specced into being able to survive like... That one time I get detected or I make a mistake. So, you know, um, you have to use basically everything that you're given. Um, you have the heels, you have the uh, 51 millimeter deck, you have the acceleration. So you can usually get away with um, just barely, usually um, 
taking like a 20 second radar or something like that uh, w when you load into a game, you look at the enemy team and you sort of look at the way people are rolling out. What uh, what's like a big red flag to you? Like oh, I don't want to deal with this, or this is going to be a problem. I need to be especially um, uh, vigilant against it. Um, I'd say tied for first place as a carrier and a Stalingrad. Personally, <laughs> they both you know they uh, they both want to kill you because Stalingrad overmatches you. And you have the improved AP pen angles on the Stalingrad, the 305, so they hurt. And a carrier is, you know, going to want to kill you because they, I mean, if they're a good carrier, I've played against good carriers, and uh, I've uh, watched their VODs about them talking about it, and they're, and they're all like, you know, Plymouth is bad AA, let's go kill that Plymouth because he's going to kill our D all our DDs, so. Oh, yeah, it's like, I get it. It's like they, they recognize it's a threat. And also, I mean, the AA on the ship, how would, is it mediocre or bad? How would you describe it? It's mediocre. I mean, it it it's actually I'd say it's actually bad for tier ten, right? Like you're not you're gonna be able to kill uh, tier eight planes, but you don't have a DFAA, so you're really not your AA is not gonna be able to just shoot a squadron out of the sky like uh, like a booster or a Gudenlu AA can. You're you're basically you're basically uh. You, you have pretty useless AA. It's not going to... I mean, it's going to do, like, what you expect it to do and really nothing more, so... Uh, yeah, and um, it, the way I kind of, like, uh, I've been pushing people to rate ships is uh, scale of A to F. I, I can't tell where in the world you're from, but I presume it's... You're familiar with the American grading system of A through F. Yeah, yeah. No, E. Um, across, uh, uh, across randoms, ranked, and competitive. So... Randoms, Plymouth, A to F, what do you grade it? I'd say a, probably a B. Okay. In my opinion, but that might be biased. <laughs> no, that's just basically the goal is to win and farm yeah. damage. Seems you've been quite successful with it in that regard. What about ranked? Um, I don't play much ranked, from, but from my experience, probably around a C or a D. Okay, not quite as strong because of... does Is this a game that... Is this a ship that uh, performs better the more ships there are in the, um, on the board? So in ranked, you know, like, there's less targets to shoot at, which means that you're going to be targeted more. And I've just found it that it doesn't, it struggles more and the, sh the kind of ships that people bring into ranked as well, you know? You're not being able to pick off, like, three of their destroyers per game. And there's a lot of, you know, bow-in gameplay that I've found. Yep. Um, that, uh, you know, only AP, you really don't... You're not able to succeed as much uh, as and you finally, are in rent. finally competitive. Ooh. Yeah, probably D or an F. I mean, I think they're pretty interchangeable. <laughs> so you didn't roll into clan battles this last season with the Plymouth? I actually did one game. We were, I was, uh, we were in our uh, sub clan, um, trying to push it to Typhoon. So, I was, you know, I was like, "Screw it, guys! I'll, uh, I'll shot call for one game." So we brought a uh, Plymouth and Smolensk, and we uh, ran it down into the B cap. You know, we killed the destroyer, but then we uh, both died. So I don't, I don't think I'd recommend Plymouth. There's a, you know, there's a reason why you don't see it in clan battles. Unfortunately, I guess so. Um... And I guess the final rating is not on grade, but... Oh, I guess you can do it in grade, but, like, the overall fun factor of the ship is a fun ship to play. Yeah, I would... 
I would I would actually give it an A in that department. Um, there's a reason why I went over the 80 games that I needed to leaderboard it. Um, I gen I generally have a lot of fun in it, um, much more than other ships that I play, just because um, it's just like you always have to be aware of uh, your gameplay, and uh, I think that's um, something that you know adds to the fun factor. It's rewarding. So when you, I mean, it does have a fair amount of consumables. I will not defense the fire, but it has the smoke radar, hydro, torpedoes. Only a limited number per side, though. It's not quite as many as the minotaur. Um, do you get to use those torpedoes very much? Not often. Um, my main use of the torpedoes is if I'm sitting in a smoke, you know, 12 kilometers, 10 kilometers, you have a 10 kilometer range on the torps. If I'm sitting directly in front of someone on a smoke, I basically fire my torpedoes at the route that they will take, where they will take the least amount of damage from my guns. So it's basically just straight at me. So they're basically just like, my torpedoes are a way for me to get, to make up for the damage that I uh, wouldn't be able to get if they just continue to bow in against me. Whereas if they, you know, if they turn out to go broadside, then I'm going to be chunking them for a lot of damage each salvo. So I basically solely use my torpedoes for the, uh, you know, just bow in, push against me. And I rarely ever use them for any, uh, like, YOLO gameplay. But, sure. So yeah. just more or less for zoning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. N now, uh, let's talk uh, ship build. Uh, what um, upgrades do you put on the ship? I mean, some of them are probably pretty obvious, but for... Well, let's just want to know the details. What do you what go into those slots for you? Sure. So in slot one, I take main armaments mod one, um, just because that's basically the standard. It's basically a standard cruiser build. I take engine room protection, just you know, for the stray citadel. You don't want to. Whoa, 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 whoa! Get your engine. Whoa, whoa, out. whoa, whoa, whoa! Not surveillance radar mod. I don't take that now. Why? That is bizarre. I've never heard of somebody not taking it on a radar ship where they can take it. I, for me personally, um, one of one of the main issues that I have with cruisers is drifting out of smoke. Just because I uh, play with my acceleration too much, especially with uh, British cruisers and your acceleration, you can really easily leave your smoke. So first of all, I haven't really gone around to buying it. Second of all. I feel like you don't necessarily need it because you already have um, 44 second radar base and it's it's just kind of unlikely that you add 20% to that and a DD is still going to be able to um, be in your smoke because by then the, the most common things I see out of destroyers is um, in a cap that I'm in is they either immediately turn out and they almost immediately die, or they survive, but then they leave your 9-kilometer radar because you're basically at the edge, because right as you radar them, you're stopping and smoking. So you value the protecting the engine from those... Yeah, I, I basically... Rather than yeah. another, what is basically seven or eight seconds of radar? Eight or, eight or mm -hmm. nine extra seconds of radar is what you get. Yeah. Yeah, I genuinely spec for the uh, survivability. All right, well, uh, I, maybe that's something that all the people that are having a bad experience with the ship are missing if they just reflexively the... take the radar and okay slot three um i take aiming systems okay just because you know you want to maximize the guns which is getting all your damage all i right. take rudder shift and slot four steering gears um 
In slot five, I take concealment. Let's just clarify that the in slot four prop mod, it's a British ship. It's built in. Yes. Yes. Okay. So you, yeah, you can't take the prop mod. So then concealment, correct. and finally, I take main battery mod three. So the reload. Okay. Cool. Um, let's talk uh, captain skills. Let's say you've got a twenty-one point captain. What are you bringing? Sure. So for the one points, I take grease the gears for the turret traverse. I take swift fish for the torpedo speed because I have one point left over. I didn't know where to put it. I take IFA, incoming fire alert, and last stand for my one points. Those are four then, one pointers. Yes, including four. IFA, and you you lean on that IFA, I imagine. Yeah, that's that's very helpful okay. as long as um, and then in the uh, second row I take party target. So basically, IFA and party target are like your best friend mm. or your best friends. Personally, I love priority target. So whenever somebody doesn't recommend it, I put it on anyway. Yep. It gives you a lot of information. Same. And then I take consume, consumables enhancements just for the uh, superintendent. Yes, and then and then for the uh, third row, I take superintendent. Okay. I take survivability expert and adrenaline rush. And then for the fourth row, my only skill is concealment expert. Yeah, I guess when you only have AP... I'm sorry, did, did you grab Adrenaline Rush in there? Did I, did I hear you take that? Yes, yes. Adrenaline okay. Rush, Superintendent, and Survivability Expert for the third row. Got it. So let's just repeat those real quick. Let's see if I got them. Um, we go with, wait, was Grease the Gears? Was that? Yep. Grease the Gears, Consumable Specialist, Incoming Fire Alert, uh, the next line Priority Target, and Consumable Enhancements, next line Adrenaline Rush, Superintendent, survivability expert, final row, uh, concealment expert, and that means I'm missing one thing. So was last stand in that mix? Yeah, yeah, last stand was there. Okay, so that's that's the build. That's awesome. Um, Sam, you got any questions for our guests here? Um, no, not really. You covered basically everything. Commander skills, modules, gameplay. Can't really think of anything else. Well, I, I guess I have a question. Is that today I bought myself a uh, incomparable because I had a coupon, but the only soul ship I don't have is the Plymouth. I don't have a coupon, but I've got uh, about let's see, um, thirty. I'm pulling it up now. I've got about forty thousand steel, and the the ship in question only costs twenty-seven thousand. It's uh, Samo, remind me, do we have any new steel ships coming out other than the... There's like a CV coming out, right? Um, at this point, I've only heard of the Incomparable. I'm not sure if they've released anything in the dev blogs recently. Yeah, though. but it's the only next steel ships coming out is... Uh, 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 Derp, do you know off the top of your head? I'm not sure that any uh, steel ships have been announced yet. Yeah, if, and even if it is a CV out there, I mean, I'm not really in a hurry to get a CV. I, I got the FDR, and I don't think I've even played it in a single random battle, maybe once. I don't even know. So would you suggest that I get the Plymouth? Um, see, this is a, a question that I get asked in my own clan a few times. Um, and I have to say, kind of like, for me personally, if you like the same ships that I do, then I would absolutely get it. I don't know if I, you know, I got it as my second steel ship, so I don't know if I'd recommend if you do it that early, but for a person like you who has no other ones to buy, then I don't think that uh, you would be disappointed. Um, 
you just have to be, you know, very aware of, uh, you know, you have to play it like a light cruiser, right? You know, you can blow up at any second, so. Yeah, um, yeah. so I'm going to actually, Sam, you have, you, do you have a question now? I saw a ping come up. Um, for any new players that choose Plymouth as one of their first steel ships, is there any tips you would give to them? Since it's a slightly different playstyle than Minotaur. Sure. Um, as a relatively new player who gets Plymouth, um, first of all, I'm somewhat questioning why you didn't get Borg or Stalingrad. <laughs> but other than that, um, I would just say, you know, uh, mostly like first of all just like protect your citadel um try to use all your smokes that's something that i try to do you know it's kind of free damage and you're basically looking for broadsides um because you only have ap you're not going to be you're not going to be reaching your you know damage goals or doing anything useful um by shooting batwin targets basically like if you want to have an impact in the plymouth and get wins in it which is what i'm assuming you're trying to do and have fun you're basically just trying to kill the DDs, and then after that, everything's just fair game. So I'm, um, I'm hovering yeah. my finger over the purchase button here. Samo, yeah. should I hit it? Why not? There's nothing else coming in, so yeah. Give Boom, meow, got it, purchased. Why not? There we go, okay, I am now the proud owner. You have, you know, because I was wondering about this one for a while. I love the old Belfast. I don't know this is a different ship, but everyone I'm talking to, they're like, oh, it's bad, it's got bad dpm ap only weak torpedoes gets wrecked by everything but then you know you we get a a true unicorn out there who's like no no this is the way this is the way and you've explained to us and to our listeners so i'm uh yeah i really did just hit the uh, purchase button and i only have 12,000 steel left but i have every steel ship in the game including some of the ones i think were removed pretty sure i got everything um so with that, um, I, I really want to thank you. Oh, by the way, um, Derp, uh, would you mind letting our audience know what your current in-game handle is? Sure. Uh, the current in-game ham- handle is uh, Plymouth underscore abuser, in case you're wondering. You know, so, if, you say, if you see me, say hi. <laughs> so it's like, to be clear, because the name could be interpreted, you're not somebody who abuses Plymouth. You're somebody in a Plymouth who abuses others. Um, you know, it could be interpreted both ways. Uh, I'm not really sure which one it is. Might be both. Maybe. I well, abused. I abused the uh, the uh, the given Plymouth that I have, and uh, you know, I use that to abuse poor souls who do not understand its true power. Yeah, you know, when we were talking about to Bison about the Yate, one of the strengths he suggested it has um, is that uh, pe- when people see it, they don't respect it. <laughs> Maybe that Plymouth has a little bit of that going with. So listen, um, uh, do you have any streams or anything like that you'd like us to plug? I don't. I don't really uh, stream stream or anything like that. So uh, I don't really have anything like that. I can send you my Twitch. I sometimes stream on there, but hey, yeah, we'll very, we'll very post your Twitch below. Maybe you got some sure. VODs of uh, some Plymouth abuse, and uh, I'm sure that some folks that have been uh, doubting and hating on the ship. You know, I I. I should check in with our, our good friend Bogsy to see uh, after this podcast drops how many uh, Plymouths they sell. Hmm. So anyway, yeah, I hope it goes up. At least one. You sold one today. So look, I really appreciate you coming on. We hope we have you again uh, sometime soon. But uh, thank you very much, Derp. For sure. Thank you for having me as well.
Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm one of the three orgs of the Team League tournament, which uh, is now in its third season. We had the, the pilot season and then season one and two, and now we're in season three. Um, should I just talk about it or do you yeah, want to well, ask specific questions? Well, first, uh, let's get the important info. So um, register this, this upcoming third one. Um, the day we're recording this is Sunday, which is the day of the player draft. It's a two-day tournament, so me your successful team, next Saturday and Sunday. Is that correct? Uh, that should be correct, yeah. Yep, that's the 29th and 30th of January. Um, so the way this, I mean, but describe to us the basic the basic setup of this tournament. Sure. So um, I think it was Chester who came up with the idea, and uh, Chester and Radamil approached me as the, uh, the technical org doing all the, uh, the the website and all of that. And um, the idea came from a StarCraft 2 tournament, which had a similar thing where streamers would pick players and then play against each other. And um, yeah, we just thought there's too many similar tournaments where just, let's say the top clans are just winning everything and the more casual players don't really have a chance to, yeah, to to really take part or get get really high up on these tournaments. So for our tournament, we pre-select streamers. Um, this season, we have 16 different streamers from the community that should be n known to most players. Uh, people like Statsblog, Flambers, C-Raptor. We also have a few... Boxy. <laughs> Boxy, indeed. Uh, we also have a few, uh, few Wargaming teams. And um, on the 19th of January, they picked uh, their team leaders. And uh, the way the player picking works is you sign up, you connect your account on the website with your Wargaming account, and then we pull the stats. And players get put into dynamic pools, which means every time someone signs up, the pools are updated and moved into essentially win rate brackets. So, for example, for this season, we have the pool one, which goes from approximately 74% to 61% win rate, and then it goes down to pool four in the end with uh, 52 to 42% win rate. And um, yeah, during the draft, uh, players from each pool have to be picked for the team. So you can have a max of two players per pool, which means that each team will consist of... Uh, varying skill levels and uh, I th I think or we think that's what makes the tournament 
interesting to watch because you see players that you haven't seen before and you most likely will not see in any other tournament. And um, yeah, you, you get very interesting matches. Of, of course, the, the uh, game quality might not be what you expect from uh, like tournaments like HOTS, but it's a, it's a different way of interesting because uh, some of them surprise you with very good plays and uh, in the end it comes down to what can the team leaders make out of the players they have. And we've had very positive feedback from um, a lot of the players that are maybe in the lower pools and haven't played in any tournament because they, they learned a lot playing with better players. And uh, yeah, I think all around everybody who takes part has a lot of fun. So it's not just a limit on, you know, you've got to get two people from each pool. You can't have more than two people from each clan either. Is that correct? Uh, that is also correct. Yeah, I think we, I'm not sure if we had that limitation in season or in the pilot season already, but yeah, at, for sure we, we limit the people per clan because otherwise, um, yeah, we would end up well, with just like half the team being from the same clan and that's not really what we, we want with the tournament. Well, let me... But then, um, well, how specific is that? Because, you know, I um, happen to be the team captain for... Uh, I was selected by the streamer slash wargaming employee, Boxy. And uh, I am looking at folks, and I, I can... I know I can only pull two people. Myself is already counted, so one other from TNG. But can I take people from TNG2 and TNG3? Or do you mean, is it clan communities, or is it specific in-game clans? Because you also have 07, Q7, 007... What, what explain does that uh, per clan limit does that apply to only in-game clans or to the clan community? No, it only applies to in-game clans because obviously the whole drafting process is automated, which means when you pick people, it will automatically like filter the list for everything you can still pick, and um, the let's say the API doesn't know anything about communities; it only knows about the clans. So, yeah, we can we can only limit it for uh, one specific clan and not communities and I guess after that it's just uh, please don't overdo it and uh, so far we didn't have any problems with that okay um, what's also remarkable about this tournament again it's a two-day tournament where there's a group stage and then the knockout rounds uh, among the more successful teams on the first day is that it is completely international we're playing this thing on the EU server with press accounts. There's no preliminary stage on each individual server. That that also adds something to it that I guess we haven't seen because in theory you could have a, a, a team with folks from four different servers on it, right? Yeah, I think uh, we started with only EU in the pilot season and then uh, once we had the, the website up and running, we just expanded it to NA. Um, I think we still have the majority of players from EU um, and I think for the first season we had a bit of an unfortunate time frame so that uh, some of the NA people you know, couldn't really take part and uh, yeah, we, we made it a bit more appealing to uh, to most time zones so that everybody can take part and you mentioned the, uh, the press accounts which is something um, like the, right at the start in our pilot season we had some uh, it's, let's call it good relations to Wargaming. So we were able to get press accounts for every player. Obviously with uh, players that are 
not really in the competitive scene. They might not have all the ships required. So we wanted to make sure that every team has essentially, or every player has the same baseline they can start from. So everybody gets a press account. Everybody has all the ships available and uh, yeah, they can just have fun. Uh, so that's, so is this a, a uh, Wargaming sponsored tournament? Would you describe it that way? Um, I like mean, the rewards... Your, well, we, like your prize pool, that kind of thing. Yes, definitely. We, uh, I, I would say, considering how little time effort for the players goes into this tournament, we have a pretty good amount of rewards. Um, also, of course, since this tournament is yeah, f focused around the, the streamers picking the team, um, the streamers also get quite nice rewards. Um, and I think we have had two streamers so far that won the team league and after that became CC. Um, I'm not saying it was because of team league, but uh, it's suspicious. <laughs> yeah, well, look, <laughs> I, I actually uh, also on this episode, we're talking to another tournament, uh, the Clash of Classes, which I think is just an NA thing, but they also have uh, NA, uh, sorry, Wargaming war sponsorship. So I'm glad to see that Wargaming is stepping out and, and uh, supporting some of these more innovative tournaments uh, such as yours. Um, so let, so I guess right now, if you're not already engaged with the tournament, it's too late to sign up. Um, but what's the best way to uh, find out, to, to watch the tournament when it takes place next weekend? Um, to watch the tournament, you can probably see all the stream links either on the COTS Discord or on the team league discord and um, apart from that i think most big streamers will be streaming that we have uh, blood minister who is from wargaming we have stats bloke we have flambas sea raptor lord zarth killerbin um tiger stan tc freer then i think the official wargaming stream will be also there because that is seraphis who's streaming that we have pharazeleth who we got out from the grave for last season and he's taking part in another one uh, we have the sailing robin yokat diraj painzer boxy and private penguin so i think if you're on twitch in the time frame of the tournament you will stumble across it either way but yeah apart from that team league discord or yeah, other discords where we make the announcements which will have all the stream links well looks to me. i appreciate you coming on the podcast to talk to us about this tournament and uh maybe next time it, uh, this tournament comes out we'll try to uh, get a segment up on it uh when folks still have the opportunity to sign up um i can tell you from looking at it as a uh, potential captain um or as a captain is that there's a lot of folks that signed up and probably a lot more people signed up than are actually going to get picked for teams um, and I guess when you get too many teams, it becomes unmanageable. But uh, I, I mean, I can say that the, the more attention this gets, probably, you know, could see potentially expanding into like a multi-weekend thing and getting bigger and bigger. So again, congratulations on what, you know, building one of these tournaments from nothing and now having it in a successful third iteration, international, with support from Wargaming, with support from the entire streaming community um, is quite an accomplishment. So again, very good job on that. And we look forward to talking to you again as this tournament continues to develop. Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me. The Get to Know the World of Warships podcast is produced by The New Guys. 
We are always grateful to our former hosts, Bogsy, who abandoned us to take a real job, and Borla, who found a better use of his time organizing the seashells he collects by the seashore. Learn more about the new guys on their Discord at discord.gg slash the new guys. Wherever you find this podcast, please like, subscribe, and share. Send all complaints to sinpax at hotmail.com and join us again next time for the podcast that refuses to die. Get to know World of Warships.